Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Remy. Good morning. Good morning. Um, so I'm James. Um, uh, let me first of all say, because I've been at Kingswood. Um, <laughs> there's absolutely no competition. I've been at Kingswood campus for the last few weeks since we, we multiplied. And I just want to say, it's really, really good to see faces here I don't recognise. Uh, so, you know, if you started coming in the last few weeks at Cottingham, absolutely brilliant. Um, now, I want to start with a story. I might get into trouble for telling this story. The worst that will happen is you'll never have me back. So, uh, um, so just bear with me. So, oh, uh, there is a point to it. Uh, a few years ago, I actually did a little bit of missional work uh, with an organisation in, in Uganda. Uh, I, I love Uganda, a little part of uh, north, central, eastern Uganda called Teso. And uh, one of the things that, that struck me, I'm one of these weird people that notice really strange things, you know, certain things stick out to me. Uh, and one of the things that jumped out to me was the names of the businesses in Uganda, uh, particularly that part and coming down to Kampala, uh, because they, they would often put like Bible bits or Christian principles in, into the, the business name. So you had things like Jehovah Jireh Supermarket. You know, <laughs> the Lord will provide supermarket. You know. um, what was Heavenly Chariots Taxi Firm? You know, <laughs> stuff like that. Or, or the, you know, uh, the, the Book of Life Community Library. Anyway, so th those sort of things struck me. And um, we were on the way back to Entebbe Airport on the road between Ginger and Kampala, just on the outskirts of Kampala. Now, when we get to the outskirts of Kampala, normally I close my eyes, held on, and just wait until we got to the airport. Um, <laughs> some of you will know what I mean. But I, I opened my eyes and I glanced across the road and th there was one that just jumped out at me. God is able, beauty salon. <laughs> now, immediately, my mind thought, you know, that must be for people beyond human help. <laughs> um, so... Now, now, I say that because one of the things I want to remind you about this morning is God is able. Amen. Okay, he is able to do abundantly more than we can ask or imagine. He's able to meet all our needs according to his riches and glory. Come on, somebody say amen to that. Amen. Our God is able. And um, just a couple of other short stories before we, we have a bit of a Bible reading. Um, God is able to heal. He's able to provide healing. You know, recently I had the privilege of... Um, I've shared this story a while ago at a 714 prayer meeting. When I, um, I'm not going to tell you the nature of my work, some, some of you know, but in the nature of my work, I had the privilege of ministering regularly to um, a little Muslim guy who had serious mental health issues. Uh, he's um, older than me, probably Remy's age. Okay. Um, Thank you. Anyway, uh, we'll call him Mohammed, okay, so, so little Mohammed, he's really struggling with hearing voices that tell him to do certain things in a really, really bad way. And uh, I saw him probably about five or six times over a couple of weeks, and uh, I went to see him on this day, and um, I was just chatting to him as, as I normally do, and then I just, I just felt it was, it was right to offer to pray for him, don't always do that in these contexts. Of course, you have to be sensitive. So, you know, would you like me to pray, Mohammed? You know, I, I pray to Jesus, your prophet, but my God, would you like me to pray for you? And he says, yes, please do. So, um, again, I think I laid hands on him, which, again, I don't always do in my context. And I just said a really simple prayer. You know, Jesus, take away these voices, help him to have sound mind. And um, I left the room, as I do. 
Came back two days later, I opened the door, and he, he was beaming at me with a smile all over his face. I said, how are you? He says, I'm fine. I says, how are the voices? He says, they're not there anymore. They've gone. And praise God for that. Just, just little stories. Um, it's actually last Sunday I was taking a, a service, and a guy hobbled in on a, a crutch, um, and I... He asked me to pray for him. He's been struggling with, with his feet. He could hardly walk. Uh, so I prayed for him. And, um, and basically still had to carry him back out of, out of the chapel down to where he, he was living. Um, but I prayed for him. I said a really simple prayer. He, he hobbled back. I went to see him two days later. I walked in and uh, he was there smiling at me. I said, Sam, you know, your foot was bad on Sunday. I said, how was it now? He said, I've been walking absolutely fine for two days now. Now, this is all the glory to Jesus, because God is able. You know, and these are only little stories, but they're, they're powerful stories of, of normal people's lives being impacted because Jesus does something for them. And I believe Jesus wants to do great things for us. Amen. I believe Jesus wants to do great miracles in our lives. Amen. I believe this what Jesus wants to provide for us in amazing, miraculous, wonderful ways. Yeah? Amen. Okay, but one of the things I want to get to in this message is this, that I think there is a danger of, particularly in churches where we really believe in the miracle power of Jesus, I think there's a danger that if we're not careful, we can actually begin to see Jesus solely as the miracle worker who will sort out our problems whenever we need him to. And I do think one thing that God wants me to share this morning is this, that Actually, Jesus wants us to see him as more than miracle maker, more than miracle worker, more than miracle provider. He is that, and I'll really unpack that in a minute, but we're going to get to Jesus is more than that. And the story that jumped into my mind when I was thinking about these thoughts earlier on in the week is the story of the feeding of the 5,000, because that story actually shows us both aspects of Jesus' miracle Worker, but also something that's more than miracle worker. So we're going to read from John chapter 6, and I've asked Marie and Anna if they will come and read to us. Uh, so, Anna, did you both come out at the same time? You can share the mic now, okay? Marie and Anna are going to read to us. John chapter 6, verses 1 to 15. If you've got a Bible or a phone. Did you want to use my Bible? Okay. Uh, Marie's going first anyway. So, you okay? They've lost internet connection. This is what happens when you don't bring a proper Bible. <laughs> no, it's cool. Just give me a sec. After this, Jesus went to the other side of the Lake of Tiberias, which is also known as Lake Galilee. And a massive crowd of people followed him everywhere. They were attracted by his miracles and the healings they watched him perform. Jesus went up. <clears throat> Jesus went up the slope of a hill and sat down with his disciples. Now it was approaching the, the time of the Jewish celebration of Passover, and there were many pilgrims on their way to Jerusalem in the crowd. As Jesus sat down, he looked up and saw the massive crowd of people scrambling up the hill, for they wanted to be near him. So he turned to Philip and said, Where will we buy enough food to feed all these people? 
Now Jesus already knew that he was about to do, but he said this to stretch Philip's faith. Philip answered, well, I suppose if we were um, to give everyone only a snack, it would cost thousands of dollars to buy enough food. But just then, Andrew, Peter's brother, spoke up and said, look, here's a young person with five barley loaves and two small fish. But how far would that go with this huge crowd? Have everyone sit down, Jesus said to his disciples. So on the vast grassy slope, more than 5,000 hungry people sat down. Jesus then took the barley loaves and the fish and gave thanks to God. He then gave it to the disciples to distribute um, to the people. Miraculously, the food multiplied with everyone eating as much as they wanted. When everyone was satisfied, Jesus told his disciples, Now go back and gather up the pieces left over so that nothing will be wasted. The disciples filled up two baskets of um, fragments, a basket of leftovers for each disciple. All the people were astounded as they saw with their own eyes the incredible miracle Jesus had performed. They began to say among themselves, he really is the one, the true prophet we've been expecting. So Jesus, knowing that they were about to take him and make him their king by force, quickly left and went up the mountainside alone. Wonderful. Thank you, Anna. Thank you, Marie. Jesus, um, miracle provider. That's what the first part of that, well, most of what that story is all about. Jesus used his power to meet the physical needs of a crowd of 5,000 men, it says, plus women, plus children. So that culture, you're looking at somewhere probably between 10 and 15,000 people. Um, they sat there while Jesus provided for them. Now, I know some of you will have experienced Jesus' miracle providing power. Anybody? Anybody ever experienced that? You can wave at me. Um, I want to share a few thoughts about this miracle working power from this story. Uh, and the first thing I want to say is this, that Jesus knows what miracle is needed before anybody actually tells him anything. This story that Anna and Marie read, it's actually recorded in, it's recorded in all four Gospels, actually. Uh, one of the very few bits there are. But in Mark's telling of this story, it says this, that when Jesus landed, he saw a large crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus looked out and he had compassion. Jesus looked out and he saw the needs. You know, Jesus didn't have to wait for somebody to come and say, Jesus, I'm hungry. Jesus already knew what was going on in their lives. Jesus already knew the needs that they had. Now I say that because I think sometimes it's really easy to feel like nobody knows what's going on in our lives and nobody cares. I felt like that at times. Thank you. You know, but we, we have those experiences where, where we land in situations, we land in the stuff of life, because life throws all sorts of curveballs at us. And we actually think, nobody knows. Nobody cares. Nobody really understands. Well, you know, just like Jesus looked over that crowd, and he immediately knew what they needed. Jesus looks over your life, and he knows exactly what you need. He knows what's going on in the deepest recesses of your heart. He understands, and he has compassion. Jesus knows what miracle is needed in your life. 
But it doesn't stop there because not only does Jesus know what is needed before anybody tells him, it actually tells us that Jesus knows how to do the miraculous work, even when other people don't have a, a clue. Um, we read earlier, Jesus sees these people, 10, 15,000. He calls Philip and he says, Philip, see all, the, all those people? Where can we go and get bread to feed them all? Now, what on earth is going on there? Did Jesus really expect Philip to come up with a sensible answer? You know, was Jesus really saying to Philip, Philip, just, just tell me where the local Warburton's factory is so we can just go and buy a mountain of bread? Um, I, I don't think so. As he says, what, what was happening is Jesus is trying to get Philip and, and all the other disciples to recognise that actually they just haven't got a clue on how to meet the need that Jesus knows about. They're absolutely clueless. Whereas it also says Jesus already knew what he was going to do. He didn't actually need Philip's input. Jesus knew what was going to happen. You know, when people don't have a clue what to do, Jesus already knows what he's going to do. I made that up. That was quite good, wasn't it? <laughs> I'll speak about humility sometime. Um, when people don't have a clue what to do, Jesus already knows what, what he's going to do. You know, thinking about the stuff that's going off in your life, the stuff in your families and, and friends' lives, the stuff in the world at large, let's, let's be real, we look at it and we think, ah, absolutely clueless. We look at the need and we think, where, where on earth do we go to, to meet all these sort of needs? Well, Jesus already has in mind what he's going to do in your life. He already has in mind what he's going to do in the lives of your family, in the lives of your friends, in your workplace, in the world at large, in your community. See, Jesus doesn't know, just know what you need. He also knows how to miraculously get it sorted. Something else that I see in this story about the miracle working power of Jesus is this, that Jesus uses people. This is something that we so easily miss, I think. Uh, I certainly did for, for many years when I was growing up because we, we think that when Jesus does great things, it's just Jesus. And it, is, it is Jesus. But Jesus loves to use people. The simple solution here would have been Jesus say a prayer when all of a sudden food appears and comes down from heaven and, and lands on the plates of the people who followed him. But he doesn't just say a prayer and food comes down to heaven. He actually draws people into the story. He draws people into his miracle work. We're ready. We've got Philip. We've got Andrew who found the little lad. We've got the little lad who was the only person sensible enough to take a picnic on a day out. Okay. <laughs> Then we've got the rest of the disciples who were distributing the food and then collecting the leftovers together. This is not just Jesus saying a prayer and God does something. He's drawing people in. It's exactly the same principle in the, the very first miracle that Jesus did. Uh, John chapter 2, 3, 4, somewhere at the beginning of John. Uh, uh, where Jesus turns water into wine. If you know the story there, you've got Mary involved, you've got the disciples involved, you've got the servants involved, you've got the master of the ceremony involved. It's not just Jesus doing stuff by himself. 
I say that because I really believe this. Jesus wants to use you in doing the miracles that he already knows he's going to do, both in your life and the lives of other people. He wants to draw you in. See, you may be clueless, but thank God he uses absolutely clueless people in doing totally amazing, glorious things in our world today. The final thing that I want to say about the miracle working power of Jesus. We're getting through this quicker than I thought. Don't worry, I'll, fill, I'll find some else to say if we finish early. <laughs> now we're going to pray anyway towards the end. Uh, but the final thing I want to say about this miracle working power of Jesus. Not only does he draw people in, but he uses the little that is given to him. The little that is surrendered to him. You know, when that little lad came up and you know, Andrew brought him to Jesus and what you got? Five loaves, two fish. And um, Andrew says, what's that among so many? Ridiculing the offering. I think it's really important that Jesus doesn't ridicule or dismiss the tiny bit that's already there. Rather, what does Jesus do? He, ta- he takes this five loaves and two fish from this little lad. He receives it with gratitude. He receives it with joy. He receives it knowing what's going to happen with it. And he, he prays this prayer and all of a sudden it begins to multiply as it's given out. You know, coming back to you, as I, I say all that because sometimes we look at what's in our hand. In other words, the abilities that we have, the resources that, that we own, the, the skills that, that God has given to us. We look at our lives, we look at what's in our hand and we say, this and that need? Really? What is this that I have that, that can possibly make such a difference to, to the stuff that's going on in, on in here and, and out there and in our world and in my workplace? What do I have that is profitable and meaningful? Because I have just a teeny weeny amount. Well, you know what this story shows me? That when we surrender the little that we have, whether that's a little bit of finance, whether it's a little bit of service in the church, whether it's a little prayer, whether it's a little kindness and an act of, of kindness. When we surrender the little that we have and we place it into the hands of Jesus, what happens? The miracle flows. You just take a moment to think about what you have. And there must be at least one thing. And you might think this is a pointless, meaningless gift to Jesus. Well, I want to encourage you to give it to him. Right now, I think there are people maybe even in this meeting who, you you know you've got a gift, something, an ability. And yet, for whatever reason, you're holding on to it because you just think it's so insignificant. The little thing that I can do, is that really going to make a difference? Is it going to make a difference in West Hull campus? Is it going to make a difference in Hull? Is it going to make a difference in your family? Can I encourage you, if there's a little one thing that you're holding on to and you're not using for the glory of Jesus because you're afraid it's not big enough, can I encourage you to surrender it, give it to Jesus, start to use it, and see what Jesus does with it? Because I totally believe God wants to use the tiny little thing that we have, multiply it. This is how Jesus provides. He he knows the need that we have. 
He knows how he's going to miraculously meet that need. He draws people into his miracle-working power, and he multiplies the little that we had, the little that we have, that surrendered to him. So here's a question for you now, and I'm going to bounce back to it in a few moments. What do you need Jesus to provide in your life? Or what among your family and friends or workplaces and society, well, what do you need Jesus to provide for you? Healing, finance, hope, joy, peace, a new car? Ooh. Maybe somebody needs a new car. I just pray that right now that Jesus will release that to you. I don't just mean want a new car. I'd love an upgrade to mine sometimes. Um, but you need a new car. I just pray that Jesus will release that. Jesus wants to provide for you. In a few moments, we're going to pray for the miracle providing power of Jesus to flow this morning. Is that okay? Amen. Well, if it's not, we're going to do it anyway, okay? So that's what we're going to do in a few moments. But as I said earlier, uh, whilst totally believe and love this sense, Jesus is the miracle provider, he doesn't just want us to stop there. Um, he wants us to recognize him. I really feel like this is something that really, God really wants to get across this morning. Jesus wants us to recognize him as, as liberator, the one who brings freedom. You know, it'd be great if this story ended with all the people being astounded, as it says, at this miracle. But, but it doesn't stop there. It says this, that when they saw the miracle that Jesus performed, they began to say among themselves, he really is the one, the true prophet we've been expecting. So Jesus, knowing that they were about to take him and make him their king by force, quickly left and went up the mountainside alone. Now it's a bit of a strange response in some ways. A guy does one miracle... And all of a sudden, the people want to force him to become king. Now, I think it's a strange response, because now, I don't want to sound disrespectful in any way. But I know people who God has used to do amazingly, and lots and lots of miracles, but they would make a rubbish leader. Okay? I don't want to be blunt. Miracle-working power and becoming a great leader do not necessarily go hand and in hand. So what on earth is going on here? Well, for a few moments, I'm going to flip into Bible study mode. Please not try not to fall asleep. Please try and work with me, okay? But I want to try and explain what, what, what's going on here and, and help us to understand the significance um, in wanting to make Jesus king. If, um, if you have a Bible that has cross-references... Then when you get home, look them up and uh, you can follow this through for yourself. Now, cross-references in Bibles, are, if you have like a study Bible, you'll find them. They, they point to verses in the Bible that connect with the verse that you're reading. Does that sort of make sense? I told you I was flipping into Bible study mode for a minute, okay. And um, one of the verses that comes in the cross-references in one of my Bibles... My son made me count them the other day, and I think I've got about 16 at the moment, okay? Um, one of those 
cross-references that, that come up in a number of my Bibles is Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15, that connects with this thought of the people wanting to make Jesus king. Um, you can look it up if you want to, or when you get home. Deuteronomy 18, 15 says this, that the Lord your God will raise up a prophet like you from among... Sorry. The Lord your God will raise up a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. Now, this is Moses speaking. So what's Moses saying? A few hundred years, thousand years before Jesus and this story. Moses is saying that there's going to come a time when God's going to bring someone into the nation who will be just like I am. Now, what was Moses known for? Moses was known for a number of things. But one thing he was known for is praying and God providing food for the Israelites. You may know the story that for 40 years, the, the Hebrews, the Israelites, they walked around the wilderness and they got hungry um, after, after a few weeks. Food ran out. And they grumbled and Moses prayed. And then for the rest of the time they were walking around the wilderness, God caused what was called manna to land on the ground. It was like coriander seed that they would bake into bread and cake. So Moses prayed and God provided miraculously food for nearly 40 years. Now get the connection between that and the story that we've just read. Jesus prays and all of a sudden the people have food. So what's happening here is that the people are now recognising, well, this Jesus is the prophet like Moses that God promised hundreds, if not a thousand years ago. The new Messiah, the new prophet, the prophet like Moses, has now turned up on the scene. But there's something else that Moses is known for. Moses is known for bringing the children of Israel, the Israelites, the Hebrews, out of the place of captivity, out of Egypt. He is known for leading them through the Red Sea when God parted it. So now, what's going on in John chapter 6? We have this people, Jesus is now like Moses, and therefore Jesus is the one that God has sent to bring freedom to our nation. So hold that thought, because what we need to do now is just flip into the historic context. I told you I was flipping into Bible study mode, okay, so keep working with me. The historic context of what's going on at this time. Uh, if you know the history, that the, the Jewish nation, Israel, had been taken over by the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire was absolutely brutal. It really was. And actually, whilst they gave the Jews a lot of freedom compared with other nations that they took over. If you read the history books, you will discover that the social and religious practices of the Jews was actually really restricted. They were in a place of restriction. They were in a place of oppression. They were in a place where they didn't have their own sense of being able to set their own destiny because of the Roman Empire. So now we put all that together and we see these people... Jesus is a new Moses because he gave us food. This new Moses God has sent to bring freedom. And that means, Jesus, you have to overthrow the Roman Empire 
in our nation. You have to become our king because that is what God has sent you to do. That is what the people were getting at. But they misunderstood what Jesus came to liberate them from. I want to make it really clear right now. Jesus is the Messiah who frees us. Somebody say amen to that. But it's important that we understand what that freedom is from. You see, Jesus, it says we, when that happened, he, he just decided to clear up the mountain. He didn't hang around to, to make it happen. He, he removed himself from that because there's no way that Jesus, at this point in time, was going to get involved in a political struggle to bring political freedom to the nations. See, Jesus didn't come to bring that sort of freedom. Jesus himself said, my kingdom is not of this world. Now, some people will disagree with me on some of the thoughts I'm about to share. That's fine if you do. God's big enough to make it all work together. But I really believe this hand on heart that Jesus did not come to transform political and social structures. There's value in that, and I'll touch on that again in a second, he came to bring freedom to individuals. It's a personal freedom, it's a personal liberation. Two other things that Jesus said, we can link them together. He said, he who sins is a slave to sin, but he whom the sin sets free is free indeed. We have personal sin that brings us into a place of restriction, but we have a personal saviour who releases us from the place of restriction. You see, these people, they wanted a national king to sort out their national mess. Whereas Jesus came to be a personal saviour to sort out our personal mess. In the Passion Translation of the Bible, um, one of the notes, I just love this, it says this, that Jesus knew that the time of liberating Israel had not yet come. Men don't just need better government we need new hearts. We don't just need better government. I'm not going to elaborate on that at this point in time. But we do need new hearts. Just a point of clarification so no one misunderstands me. I do actually believe in the power of Christians being involved in politics. Rob, Rob's not here this morning and, and other Christians that we know who are involved locally in, in local government and pray for them. I believe God wants to use them powerfully where they are. Um, but I'm not talking about that particularly. I'm, I'm talking about this sense of personal freedom this morning, personal change. And I say all that because I think We all have personal messed up lives that we need Jesus to free us from. And um, whether that's a little bit of messed upness, if that's a word it is now, whether it's a a big amount of messed upness, you know, I think we all have stuff in our lives 
We say, well, I just need Jesus to, to free me. I need a liberating saviour. Not someone who will sort out the national mess. Actually, I need someone who can sort out the mess in here. You know, and we need, as I said, we need freedom just as much, if not as sometimes more than we need miracles. We need freedom more than we need provision. You know, it's possible to find somebody in prison and meet their physical need. You provide them with, with food and shelter and warmth. But you know what? They're still in prison. You, you can find someone in poverty and, and you can give them food and, and, and money and, and stuff. You know, thank God for food banks and, and people who work in prisons and other places. But it doesn't change the fact that the person's still in poverty. See, the, the individual acts of provision do not fundamentally change somebody's experience of life. Provision's really important, so please don't misunderstand me. But Jesus wants to do more than provide us at our point of need. I believe Jesus wants to release us from our place of need. What I believe Jesus wants to say this morning. Again, the provision doesn't always change lives. I know people who've been healed, miraculously healed, and it's not made the slightest bit of difference to how they've gone on and lived. You know, Jesus... I believe Jesus wants to heal, I keep saying this, but you know what? I don't believe Jesus wants to keep healing us time and time and time again because we keep getting sick time and time again. I believe Jesus wants to release us from a place of ill health and free us into a place of total health. I don't believe Jesus really wants to keep sorting out our debt situations, and he will sort them out, but I don't believe he wants to keep sorting our debt, our debt situation, providing finance, when we just keep getting back into debt time and time again. I believe Jesus wants to release us from the place of poverty mentality and bring us into a place where we live in contentment and abundance and even prosperity. I don't believe Jesus really wants to give us a miraculous sense of forgiveness time and time again because we keep messing up time and time and time again. Rather, I believe Jesus wants to free us from a place where we're bound in temptation to a place where we're able to overcome temptation. Now, thank God that Jesus is so gracious that he will continue to heal, he will continue to sort out our death miraculously, he'll continue to forgive us because he's just so gracious. But if our understanding of Jesus is limited to that, then maybe all we expect is Jesus to hand out another miracle next time we need one. Whereas Jesus came, not just to hand out miracles, he came to bring us into a sense of abundant life. Freedom from sin, freedom from death, freedom from ill health. 
So again, we're not relying just on the miracles, although we always need the miracle working power of Jesus. We actually find ourselves living in a place of freedom. In this respect, Jesus' liberating power is all about a change of life experience. It's not just handing out another thing to see us through today. It's about a change of life experience. Jesus wants to change our lives. He wants to change your life. He wants to change my life through freedom. How do we enter into that place of liberation, that place of freedom? Two things really quickly. I think everything we receive from God comes down to faith and repentance. Repentance says, I'm like Philip and I just ain't got a clue how to deal with the need in my life and the need in the world, but I know a Jesus who does know how to deal with the need in my life and the need in the world. Repentance is turning from relying on myself and turning totally to relying on Jesus. And faith says, I'm going to trust God. What I have is not enough, but the cross is enough. What I have is meaningless, but Jesus' blood is meaningful beyond measure. Faith and repentance. I want us to pray around a couple of things. Matt, do you want to just come in? And I'm... Um, I have to just leave it for a moment. It's good to say that. I want us to pray together first of all. And I'm going to lead us in a prayer of faith and repentance. Now this isn't particularly a prayer, we might call it the sinner's prayer. Some of us have been around church for a while, you know, where we come to Jesus for the first time. But as I pray this prayer, it may be that you say, actually this is the first time that I'm coming to Jesus, the first time I'm expressing faith and repentance in my life. I want us to lead us in that prayer all together. So I want all of us to recognise that we're not able, but Jesus is able. I'm not powerful, but Jesus is powerful. So we're going to pray that prayer together. And then I want to pray for miracles to happen. Because I believe Jesus wants to do some great stuff today. And, uh, but I also want to pray as well this morning that God will take us out of bondage, ill health, continual debt, falling into temptation and brings us into a place of freedom. So that's where we're heading for the next few minutes. Can you just stand with me while we pray? Okay. Well, like I said, we're going to pray this prayer all together. We're going to declare our turning to Jesus, our, our faith in God. So, so just repeat after me, dear Jesus. Dear Jesus. Thank you that you are all powerful. Thank you that you are all powerful. Thank you for your blood. That is all the power in heaven and earth. And today, Jesus, I turn from my own strength. And I turn to you, the one who is able to meet my needs. I choose to put my faith in you. Jesus, I trust you. I trust you to forgive me. I trust you to heal me. I trust you to strengthen me. In Jesus' name.